But you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 1, as we come to a new book. It probably will, will not take as long as Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is bigger, uh, but there's some large sections when it comes to the division of the land that we might do in big chunks. I remember Pastor Butler did multiple chapters at a time. Uh, so we might do a similar sort of thing when we get there. So I think we will probably finish Joshua uh, by the end of the year. Uh, but we'll just go chapter by chapter and see where we get. So tonight is chapter one. Uh, I titled it, Be Strong and of Good Courage. God commissions Joshua and gives him the reminder of certainly the command to be strong, but also where his strength lies. So uh, I'll begin reading at verse one. We'll read the entire chapter. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This, uh, you may, uh, uh, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. You may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have, a, have good success. How I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. But the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. You shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them, until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also, uh, they, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Amen. Well, we transition to a new era in the history of Israel. Moses, the servant of the Lord, has passed away. Uh, we saw that when we finished Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy 34. And so that's referenced for us again in Joshua uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Uh, when we transition to Joshua, we're starting the historical books. 
whereas they're primarily known the former prophets. They're not just the history of Israel, but it's still God speaking to us. God is still speaking to us through his word. He's speaking to Israel through these former prophets, namely Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. And when we consider all of those books as a whole, really the emphasis is on how Israel got to exile. How is it that the people of God are now uh, vomited out of the land all the way uh, that we see uh, come to pass all the way in the book of Kings? Now, Joshua is positive. Uh, the people do fairly well uh, during the time of Joshua. Joshua does very well. They're certainly not perfect. But Joshua really is a positive uh, history of the people of Israel as they enter into the land, take the land, divide the land, and seek to retain uh, the land. And certainly the foundation for this history is called the Deuteronomic history for a reason. The foundation is the book of Deuteronomy. How is it the people were supposed to retain the land? It was by way of covenant. God had entered into covenant with the people of Israel. And certainly that second generation gets a further fleshing out of the law of God for Israel as a nation. And as we saw throughout the book, uh, it was a covenant of works. It was all of the terms and conditions uh, uh, were obedience for life uh, in the land. And so then we come to Joshua, we transition, and really the book itself is full of uh, uh, anticipation. The book itself is all about uh, fulfillment. Uh, you don't get a lot of books in the Bible that tells you the main purpose, but Joshua does tell us the main purpose. In Joshua 21, verses 43 and 45, I'm going to have a pop quiz next week when I ask what the main idea of Joshua is. Joshua 21, 43 through 45. So the Lord God gave to Israel all the land which he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. God made that promise to Abraham. He'd have a seed and a land. It took, what, four, five hundred, six hundred years before the people finally entered into the land. Davis entitles, or titles his commentary, No Falling Words. God fulfilled his promises. God brought about his plans. God, even with this era, this transition to a new era, it is still the same God fulfilling his promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the book really is structured in a very simple way. It's all about conquest and division. Those are the two main heads. The people enter in, the people take the land, then they divide the land. But we could divide it even further around the idea of the promised land, entering the land, conquering the land, dividing the land, and retaining the land. That comes from Davis for the most part, entering, conquering, dividing, and retaining. And uh, chapters one through four deal with entering into the land, which we are going uh, to start this evening. Now, as Moses passes and Joshua becomes the leader, one problem, potential problem emerges, and that's the problem of whether or not the people would accept the new leader. And certainly there's the problem of the military conquest. There's Canaanites that they're going to have to take out of that land. It's not going to be easy. Uh, Joshua had to do it without his mentor. And perhaps there was this question whether or not the people would follow Joshua. Now that concern is taken out, uh, taken away very quickly 
but it's something that perhaps does arise. So there's the problem of potential problem of the people not trusting and following Joshua. There's also the potential problem of disunity uh, with the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe Manasseh. Would they follow Joshua? And if they wouldn't follow Joshua, then there would be this problem of division among the people. Would they keep their promise and do uh, what they promised to, uh, to God and to Moses? Now, again, Joshua's positive. So, yes, they follow Joshua. Yes, uh, there's unity amongst the people in Joshua. But both of these problems become a huge deal in Judges. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no leader that one followed. God certainly raised up judges. But for the most part, everyone did what was right. And there's major disunity uh, amongst the, the people of God in Judges. But for now, uh, God is acting as that divine warrior. He's going to fight for his people. And he commissions and affirms Joshua in this, which is what we see in chapter one. It's all about the commission of Joshua and God's promise to be with him. God is the God who has no falling words, and he has promised to be with him, and Joshua is to be strong and of good courage. So we'll look at this promise. We'll look at this commission under two headings this evening. First of all, we'll see a strong God for the new leader, verses 1 through 9. And secondly, we'll see a united people for the new leader in verses 10 through 18. So a strong God for the new leader, and then secondly, a united people for the new leader. So let's first look at a strong God for the new leader in verses 1 through 9. And notice uh, in verses 1 through 4, we see that commission. Joshua, lead the people and go into the land and take the land which I promised to give to you. And it is after the death of Moses. Again, we see that in Deuteronomy 34. Deuteronomy ends with the mediator passing, but also this uh, reminder about how unique Moses was. Uh, how he knew God face to face. He had this intimacy that no other prophet uh, had that that time or has had until the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, certainly he was the one who did many signs and wonders. God used him to perform many signs and wonders as the mediator. Moses is a major, uh, major figure uh, in the history of Israel. And so humanly speaking, Joshua has some large uh, shoes to fill. Yes, he's affirmed. Yes, he's confirmed. Yes, he's the assistant of Moses. But still, you know, uh, uh, Moses is a larger than life type of figure in the Old Testament, humble to be sure, but certainly a major, uh, the mediator of the Old Covenant. So even though the mediator passes, God is going to affirm to Joshua that he will be with him. So verse one, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua. Isn't God gracious to do this for Joshua? In the midst of Moses' passing, God comes and he affirms Joshua. Yes, he's been affirmed before the people at the tent of meeting in Deuteronomy 31. Certainly we see his commission elsewhere in Numbers 11 and 27. Uh, but God comes again after Moses finally passes. Hey, I will, I will be with you. Here's what you have to do, but I'm going to be uh, with you. You So even the, uh, he's dispelling any doubt that perhaps Joshua may have. Uh, he speaks to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Again, there is this closeness. There is this nearness that Joshua and Moses had. Humanly speaking, he's a great successor, but he's also the one chosen by God to be that successor. So he speaks to him in verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. 
I notice most of my servant is mentioned a lot in this section. Again, it's to uh, perhaps it's to highlight uh, jo Joseph's closeness with the one who is the servant of the Lord. Joseph, sorry, Joseph, Joshua will become uh, will be called the servant of the Lord towards the end of the book. Uh, but certainly Moses had that special designation. But it's almost like the reminder of the quality of the relationship Moses had. My servant, my servant, and even though my servant has passed, I. And with you as well. So Moses, my servant, he's dead. No need to weep about it anymore. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. God has promised to give the people this land. The land is right before them. The land is ready to be taken. And God says and commands, now it's time to cross over. This is great, a uh, great time of fulfillment. The people have waited a long time. Remember the first generation, they get to Kadesh Barnea and they freak out about the giants in the land. But only Joshua and Caleb are like, no, God has said, let us go into the land. Well, then because the other 10 were terrible and, 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 and didn't trust in the promise of God, they had to wander for 40 years. And now finally they get to enter in. There's still going to be giants in the land. And so God affirms Joshua once again. I uh, here's what you must do. Here's the land I'm giving to you. Here's the promise. And notice, even though it's a gift of God, throughout the narrative, we see God still uses means to bring about his promises. There's this harem warfare, this holy warfare that the people of Israel are going to engage in on behalf of God as judgment upon uh, the Canaanites, uh, but also as a way in which God gives them this blessed promised land. So God has given them the land, but they must go in and they must lay hold of it, trusting in God as they engage in military uh, warfare and military tactics. So here's the land. Here's what I'm giving to you. Here's what I promised. Verse three, every place the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you. As I said to Moses, as I promised to him, I am the same God and I will keep those same promises. Verse 4, from the wilderness and, uh, and this Lebanon, so the north, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, uh, perhaps to the south, to the great sea, toward the going down the sun, that's to the west, shall all be your territory. Now, it's not necessarily all that they would dispossess right away, uh, but certainly what the land could be for the people and the closest they get perhaps is during the time uh, of David. But in any case, here's the land. Here it is before you. So then we see the division of it in chapters 13 uh, through 21. So here's the commission. Here's what you must do. I'm affirming you, Joshua. Here's what you must do. But notice in verses 5 through 9, we see the consolation the Lord gives. I will be your strength. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Before they even enter into the promised land and have to kill a bunch of Canaanites and a bunch of giants, God says to him and reminds him, I am going to be with you. Even though he trusted in God before, he trusted in God's promises before, again, he comes and affirms. With the battle looming, with the battle coming, with the Canaanites and Jerichoites and whoeverites they must kill, it's still going to be hard and scary and frightful. And so God says, go, I will be with you every step of that way. 
And uh, doing the Lord's task can be a very daunting, terrifying thing. And when he says, I will be with you as I was with Moses, remember Moses was afraid in Exodus chapter 3? Moses didn't want to go. Moses didn't want to be the guy. I don't want to speak. Can my brother come instead? And what does God say to him? I will be with you. And that's during the burning bush. After God said, I am who I am, I am will be with you. And he's saying here again, I am with you. Yahweh is with you. The covenant Lord is with you. As I was with him, so I will be with you. It is a different leader, but it is the same God. In Deuteronomy 20, we see the rules concerning uh, warfare. Again, there's a different, uh, there's certainly, uh, uh, there's difference between holy warfare and just warfare. Um, but God says to them, as they engage in that holy warfare d- 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 devoted to destruction, it's not for them. For the Lord your God, verse 4, is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble. God is the one who fights for you. And certainly Joshua trusted in the Lord, but God once again affirms that for him. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And then we see a string of commands connected with be strong and of good courage. Verse six, be strong and of good courage. For to this people, you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers uh, to give them. Again, there's going to be a need for courage. God will be with them, but God is the one who will give them courage as they enter into the land. Webster defines courage as firmness of mind exercised in relation to difficulties which engender fear. That is, courage only happens in the face of fear. Courage only happens when there's a good that one desires, but there's an evil standing in that way. And the evil standing in the way are the Canaanites. That's one major evil. That is, here's the good land God has promised, but there's these wicked people in the land. And so God is going to be with them and help them as they go into that land and take that land. And also as well, there's also the problem and concern that the people of Israel themselves are going to deprive themselves of the good. And so Joshua needs to divide it properly. There's going to need to be courage when dispossessing and dividing the land that God has promised. Notice to the fathers. We saw that reference a lot in Deuteronomy. God made this promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God made this promise to them, and now we're coming to that fulfillment of it. It is a great day of anticipation and excitement for the people, but still, they need to be strong and of good courage. So I swore that I swore to give this land, go in, take it, divide it. Then verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. You may observe it to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. They not only need to be strong in fighting the baddies in the land, but they need to be strong in God's word. And for Israel, it was that book of Deuteronomy. There's certainly going to be the problems of killing Canaanites, but there's going to be major problems with 
in. And so God is saying to Joshua, the, 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 the key to success in the land is, yes, trust in me, but also trust in my word. Here is what I've said as far as the terms of this covenant. If you follow what I say, things will go well in the land. Meditate upon that law day and night. That's what the king was supposed to do, according to Deuteronomy 17. And Joshua, you know, by all accounts, he's imperfect. I know that. But Joshua does a pretty good job overall. And they do prosper for the most part as they enter in, dispossess, and take. They have their problems and hiccups along the way. Joshua is not the, 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 you know, the, the, the savior of our sins. But nonetheless, God still works through him according to the terms of the covenant. Do not turn from the right hand to the left. Go the right way. Follow me. And perhaps, too, Joshua is a good example of what the people should be and what they should do how they ought to have followed what God said, meditate upon his law rather than bringing about problems from within. There's this good that God held out and because of their stupidity, because of their sin, because of their stiff neckedness, I once heard someone say, or I think Pastor Butler mentioned someone said, some guy called it stiff necked rather than stiff necked. I think that's kind of a funny way of saying things. I can say things kind of in a funny way as well, but the people were stiff necked or stiff necked, however you want to say it. Uh, but they were terrible. They did awful things. But if they had done what God said, externally, they would have had good life in that land. They should have followed the straight and narrow. They should have listened and meditated on the book of the law uh, to observe it, to do all that's according to it, that so their ways may prosper. So Joshua is a good example of success and the God's promise to prosper them if one does so, again, he's not perfect, but overall, Joshua is positive. And then finally, verse 9, he again, another affirmation. Have I not commanded you? It's almost like he's trying to tell us something, right? Or trying to tell Joshua something and then trying to tell us something as well. Sometimes we need that. Be strong enough, good courage. Be strong enough, good courage. Be strong enough, good courage. Have I not told you? Be strong enough, good courage. Because we're very forgetful of the promise of God. And God has said, be strong and of good courage. Life's going to be hard. Life's going to be difficult. Doing what God says is not going to be easy. But thankfully, especially for the new covenant people, we do so triumphant in Christ. I mean, that's what we've seen in the book of Colossians. I'm trying to wrap my mind around it again after being away from it for a while. But we talk about being triumphant in Christ. Christ has disarmed all principalities and powers. Christ reigns as king overall. We are triumphant in him and thankfully uh we have been forgiven in him and we are triumphant in him and have strength in him and he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us be strong and have good courage do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the lord is with you wherever you go that's where our, com our consolation and comfort lies davis says Joshua is not told to grit his teeth and screw up his courage on his own. He is to be strong only because Yahweh is with him and not because Yahweh prefers leaders who are positive thinkers, leaders who trust in the Lord rather than themselves. Now, thankfully, there is a New Testament place where this section is alluded to. I think it's more quoting Deuteronomy 31 and certainly we saw 
God's promise to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31, be strong and have courage. Do you guys remember where that's quoted? Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, as the writer comes to the end of his letter, dealing with some applicatory uh, uh, commands, talking about marriage, talking about the problem of fornicators and adulterers. He goes on to talk about covetousness. He says in five, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's Psalm 27 with Deuteronomy 31. But certainly Joshua 1 uh, ought to be um, as part of that illusion as well. The consolation that is given to the leader is for the people of God. There are fearful things in this world. There are difficult sins in this world, but there is a near God who helps us. And notice the near God in our struggles with sin. Do you struggle with discontentment? Do you struggle with that 10th commandment by coveting other things, whatever that may be? Usually when we covet other things, it means we're saying to God, we don't like the life he's given to us. And we don't trust in his ways and his guidance and where he has placed us. We think, God, if you only did this for me, things would be far better than where I'm at. That's what murmuring and grumbling and planning is, really railing against God's providence and God's wise counsel uh, for the life in which he has given to us. And what's interesting, brother, I was listening to Dr. Renahan talk about the conditions, just social conditions, hygiene during the 16, 1700s. And he made the comment, or I think it was the, the, fellow, um, uh, the fellow podcaster, Joe Anity, he made the comment, uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, rare jewel of Christian contentment. That would have been written during the time of the 1600s when hygiene is not what it is today. You know what Dr. Renahan said? By the time you're 20, you lose all your teeth. Most people lose all their teeth. You know, uh, they're gone. Can you imagine that? All your teeth gone by the time you're 20. Uh, for the most part, 50% of people didn't live past the age of 20. Uh, there are all sorts of things that we take for granted today uh, as far as modern hygiene that really are a blessing. And yet we still grumble and complain, right? I mean, nothing, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. But thankfully, God reminds us when we struggle with the life we have, we can cast our burdens upon him, and he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. David says the promise of God's abiding presence in Joshua 1 is also for you and is the solution to the sin of covetousness and discontent, which in turn leads to the great freedom of life without fear. You struggle with discontentment, God has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. There is nothing more essential for the people of God than to hear their God repeating to them, amid all their changing circumstances, I will be with you. I will, I will not forsake you. God is with Joshua in his battles with Canaan, and God is with you in your battles with sin and discontentment. God is with his people. He is a strong God who is not only for the new leader, but he's also with his people. So that's a strong God for a new leader. Let's then look secondly at a united people for the new leader in verses 10 through 18. And really the structure of Joshua 1 is pretty much the same. God gives a commission to Joshua. 
Joshua gives the commission to the people. So God has been, uh, Joshua has been given this command and then he goes and gives the command to the people. Again, the people have to do something. They have to lay hold of that promise and they have to lay hold that God is with them and they lay hold uh, 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 by engaging in warfare. So Joshua verse 10, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the command or the camp and command the people saying, Prepare, uh, prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Uh, getting the troops ready, uh, the people are going to cross the Jordan. And as we'll see in chapter 3, the Jordan is roaring at this time, a treacherous river to cross. And God will miraculously help them uh, get across that Jordan. So that's another obstacle. Canaanites rivers problems that they have to deal with and so joshua tells the leaders and the officers and he prepares the people for that get your provisions ready you still have to eat uh it's going to be within three days he gives them a task and a time frame uh for them so he gives that command go in you're going to dispossess the land god is giving you again that's repeated god is giving you this land but you're going to go in and take it god gives it but you're going to go take it and so um that is, again, the whole book, God giving it, but then going and taking it. So he gives this commission, go dispossess the land. And then in verses 12 through 18, we see the strength of the people as a united nation. And so notice he gives this request to the Transjordan or Cisjordan tribes. Yes, that's uh, used in the commentators. Trans or Cisjordan is just opposite on the other side of the Jordan, on the eastern side of the Jordan. Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They liked the eastern side. They thought it was nice. They thought it was better for their flocks. And so they said, hey, Moses, can we have this side instead? Uh, does anybody know where that is? Numbers 32. And pretty much exactly what Joshua is going to say in verses 13 through 15 comes like verbatim, like straight out of Numbers 32. Uh, here's what Moses said to you. Now, I want you to follow me just as you followed Moses. And so the, the deal was that, okay, you can have this side of the land or this side of the, uh, yeah, this land on this side of the Jordan, but you have to help your brethren take the rest of the land. That was the, that was the deal. That was the, uh, the promise given to them. And that was the condition that they had to abide by if they were to take that land. Because Moses was concerned for this, well, with disunity. Moses was concerned the people were going to be divided. And certainly that plays a role in Joshua 22, which we'll get to when we get to uh, Joshua 22, because that river acts as a giant barrier. Are the people going to be divided? A nation divided is not a strong nation at all. Again, we see all the problems with that in Judges. So uh, would they follow Joshua? Would they listen? And so Joshua says to them, remember the word, verse 13, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is giving you rest. Rest is another important theme in the book of Joshua. And for all intents and purposes, that the, uh, the, the eastern side has received rest. That is, they've engaged in their, uh, their warfare. They took out Sion, they took out Og, and they received rest. And their taking of Sion, or the, 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 uh, the Amorites, uh, the, 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 land of the, uh, the land of the Amorites, was uh, a foreshadow of what the whole people would do when they enter into the land. But rest 
uh, is something that they seek. Uh, warfare must happen first, victory must happen first, but then they would receive rest. And we read that uh, in Joshua 21, God gave the people rest. And so God said, I'm giving you rest. This is the land that he is giving to you. Verse 14, your wives, your little ones, your livestock, they can stay, which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor and help them. Until the Lord gives your brethren rest. You've received rest. Now give your brethren rest. As he gave you. That they also uh, may that they also uh, have taken possession of the land. Which the Lord your God is giving them. So you'll go help them. You'll go be with them. It's a united nation. Then you shall return to the land of your possession. And enjoy it. Uh, which the Moses the Lord's servant. Gave you on this side of the Jordan. Toward the sunrise so go help your brethren and then you may return uh to your land on the eastern side of the jordan and the concern was again perhaps they wouldn't follow joshua here's a new leader and eh, we can just blow him off now we don't have to go help uh the people anymore that was perhaps a implicit concern uh, but we see that concern is taken out of the way is removed so they say verse 16 they answered Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do. God gives Joshua a commission, but also Joshua, or God gives Joshua the people behind him. All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we followed Moses, we will follow you. That is a good sign. That is a good uh, um, uh, uh, confirmation of allegiance to Joshua, allegiance to God above all. Uh, but again, there was a concern implicitly that maybe they wouldn't. Just as we heeded Moses and all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Again, there's this confirmation. God was with Moses. God will be with you. As long as God is with us, we will go. That's the emphasis. That's the uh, the thrust God had said that to Moses, and now the people are confirm or sorry to Joshua, and the people are now confirming it to Joshua as well. God said it, the people said it, uh, they are in line and they are united in the things of God at this point in Israel's history. Verse 18: Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good. Courage. God tells him to be strong and of good courage, and the people come and say, Be strong and of good courage. God is with you. God encourages us in his word, and the people of God encourage us with God's word. Harris says, Claiming the promise of God and their inheritance demands strength and courage when the gift includes hostile opponents. The gift will be received when it is seized. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh understood that. Joshua understood that. God understood that. And God promised to be with them uh, as they enter into the land. Now, I think one thing we can see uh, in these verses is the importance of unity and the unity that God gives to his people. Now, in this fallen age, we strive for unity as a church. Now, we don't, you know, take away 
and remove truth. Uh, we don't have unity at the expense of truth, but nonetheless, we do our best to strive to be as united as possible. It's unfortunate that sometimes even in a good church, in a true church, because we still live in uh, the present evil age, sometimes unity can be squashed and kiboshed for, pet, through, uh, for petty reasons and selfishness. People can get you know, offended by someone looking at them funny and they want to leave the church. That's not what we're supposed to do. And certainly Joshua 22 does come to mind as a good thing about what one ought to do when it comes to problems. Remember when that, the, the, the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh, when they go home, they erect an altar. And then the people on the western side are like, wait, is that a rival to the place of God? What's the purpose of this? So they're, they're ready for war. They're ready to you know, take out and purge the evil from among them. Before they go purge the evil from among them, they talk it over. Phineas goes and is like, hey, what's going on here? What's this mean? Are you engaging in treachery? If not, please come back to the other side and we'll find a place for you. We want to be united. And then the Eastern tribe's like, no, of course not. That's not what we wanted. We don't want to be uh, separate. We were concerned with the river and being this separation, this big natural barrier that we would be excluded from the worship of God. And then in the end, what happened? God is our witness. God is with us. It was a sign that God was with them. Warfare, civil war was spared. Uh, they, they talked it over. Sometimes in life, in, uh, in, in the life of the church, unity doesn't mean everybody getting along all the time. What it means is when there's conflict, we deal with it in an appropriate way. And certainly there are problems at churches in the New Testament. I mean, Paul had to write, he mentioned those two ladies by name in Philippi, Syndicate, and Yodia. You need to deal with your stuff. Be, be of the same mind. It's unfortunate in the fallen age that we have disagreements sometimes. That's why we're called to deal with our stuff. That's why Paul says, forgive and forbear with one another. And in Ephesians 4, talking about membership. That's why he says, forgive one another as Christ forgave you in Colossians chapter 3, which we'll get to. Uh, very soon. But unity isn't just everybody getting along all the time singing kumbaya, but when there's issues and conflicts, we have to deal uh, with those things. But there are, I think, three things uh, I, can, I would like to highlight in closing that we are united and strengthened, united in and strengthened by. And so the first thing where we are united in and strengthened by is God's word. I think that's very clear in the text. He says to Joshua, you know, follow the book of the law, do what it says. And certainly Deuteronomy is in view there, but also the promise God gave to Joshua is in view. God said, be strong and of good courage. God affirms Joshua uh, uh, before the tribes and the tribes affirm Joshua uh, as well. The word of God is, is what God has said, and we must take him at his word. He spoke, be strong and of good courage. I will be with you. They must trust in him, and we must trust in God's word as well. God has spoken. God has said, and whether I have my feelings aligned with that or not doesn't matter. It's what God has said. David, uh, David says, Joshua 1 uh, tells us, that a life pleasing to God does not arise from mystical experiences or from a new gimmick advocated in a current release from one of our evangelical publishers. 
No, it comes from the word of God. The word God has already spoken and from obedience to that word. What he's saying there is sometimes we're looking for an experience with God because we're in a rut, right? Sometimes we want to try a new trick that a new author figured out. Here's what you need to do. You need to get up at 3 a.m. And then you need to go to the mountain somewhere. And then you need to curl up in a ball and then see if you can rock back and forth for a while. Then you'll find some time with God that way. People try to find new ways to have communion with God, but do we forget that God has spoken to us here? You know, sometimes I, that's why we try, not sometimes, I always try to highlight the mundaneness and the place for nourishment comes in God's word. It comes in reading it. It comes under the preaching of it. That's what we need. We don't need to go looking for these mystical experiences, these other sort of uh, gimmicks or tricks that people try to do here. Just all these books that are written. I mean, people are making a fortune off these books, these daily devotions, you know, Jesus calling all these terrible things. We have God's word that we have here. It's important for us to recognize that mundane, everyday reading the word of God. And he is pleased to speak to us. He's pleased to affirm us and confirm us. He spoke to Joshua and those people, the Reubenites, Gadites, and Manassehites, half of them, said to him, be strong and of good courage. So we need to be united and strengthened in God's word. Secondly, we need to be united and strengthened in love for one another, which again includes hard times. I know everybody likes to say, uh, quote, Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered, there I am, and there they are, or uh, gathered in my name, there I am among them. And a lot of people like to highlight about like the gathering or prayer or that sort of thing. Yeah, that's true. God is with us. Christ is with us. I'm not denying that. But you know what the context is, right? Church discipline. (laughs) I mean, during times of conflict and difficulty and difficult process one has to engage in, where two or three are gathered, there I am. You see, we need God to help us in those difficult moments. We need God to uplift us in those difficult moments. That's why we need to gather as well, to be uplifted and encouraged and care for one another. Davis says, this does not mean that we have to feel all sticky and gooey about each other, but it does mean that we must care enough that we don't want any of the Lord's children to get discouraged. Doesn't mean we have to be best buddies all the time, but it mean, what it means is we need to seek the good of our fellow brethren in our church and according to God's word. He goes on to say, it seems that such caring encouragement should take place in our public meetings. And he quotes Hebrews 10.25. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, even as you see the day approaching. But what he says there is before the day approaching aspect, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but in exhorting or encouraging one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And even uh, before that, verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. When we come to gather, it's not just to hear the word preached right? It is that. That's like the main thing. We come and hear God preach to us. We worship God. But it's also to stir up one another, to encourage one another, to uplift one another in the things of God as we, I'm not saying you can't call one another up on a Tuesday or a Monday or a Wednesday or whatever, 
or get together and have, you know, I'm not saying you can't do that, but the main thing is gathering together and stirring up one another to love and good works according to God's words. We ought to love one another, be united in the things of God, be patient, forbearing, and kind. God has promised to be with us. And all this highlights, again, mundaneness, the basics are the best. We don't need to be finding, uh, you know, looking for all these other sort of gimmicks and tricks. What's interesting is Hansard Nulls. It looks like it's, I think it's spelled like Nullis. Uh, but he was a particular Baptist, and I was recently read up the life and death of Hansard Nulls. But uh, in that volume, it has a letter that he wrote to his church as he was about to die. It's kind of like a last letter. Here's what I'm going to die. Here's what you should do. You know what he said? Devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. The mundane, everyday means of grace. That's what his emphasis was to his church. You know, gather. He even did childhood uh, uh, not chastised, but called out some people who forsook the assembling of themselves. God has given us his means that so often we neglect and we look for uh, another way in which we can have an experience with God rather than recognize he speaks to us, nourishes us, and strengthens us right here in his word. And has he not promised to be with his church? Has he not promised to be with us and speak to us? Till the end of the age. Isn't that what Christ says in Matthew 28? Our Savior who has redeemed us, our Savior who has saved us, in Him, He who is I am, has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Behold, He is with us to the end of the age. Brethren, we must never forget that. We must be strong of good courage in Christ. We must not be dismayed in Christ. For the Lord our God is with us. He will never forsake us. But let us pray. Our gracious God, thank you that you have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. May we, in, uh, by your strength and in you, be strong and of good courage. May we not be afraid of the evils that may come. May we seek to do what is right and what is good according to your ways. Uh, may we seek to preach uh, the word. May we seek to read your word and have our lives conform to your word. Uh, may we love one another according to your word. May we forbear and, and, and uh, be patient and forgive one another. May we not be easily offended in the course of the Christian walk. Uh, may we be patient and kind. Uh, for you have been patient and kind with us. Please forgive us for not being patient, not being kind, for murmuring and grumbling and complaining. Uh, forgive us for thinking that you would have, a, that we would have a better uh, life if this, that, or the other would happen other than where you've placed us. Thank you that we can uh, cast our burdens upon you, that you care, knowing that you care for us. Thank you that we confess our sins to you and that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we ask that you would this day. Please help us to be uplifted and nourished by your means of grace, uh, by your word. Thank you so much for it. Thank you so much for the growth that comes by it. Thank you for the fruit uh, that uh, we see uh, even in um, uh, minor and small forms. We see your fruit and the growth that you bring. 
Thank you for that word. And may we trust in you. May we have faith in you. Uh, that you are with us till the end of the age, and may you continue to be with us till the end of the age. May it give us strength as we uh, slog along in the difficulties of life, as we deal with our own sins, as we deal with the world, as we deal with the devil. Keep us, protect us. Thank you that you are faithful to establish us and keep us. Uh, Please keep us until the end, and thank you for being with us day by day. So be with us now by your spirit, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.